Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Climate Change in the Multiverse. I'm Kelly Tatham, and today we're here with my friend Morgan Bonegardner. She is a performing artist, a musician, and a witch who has been practicing and studying in the cult for nearly 20 years. Thank you so much for being here. And I, I know this is a podcast, so people can't see you right now, but you look so fabulous. I wish that well, I'll take a screenshot and share it because you're wearing, can you please explain how you look right now to everyone listening? I have like the half and half male, female drag on my face right now. So I've got one side bearded man with some glitter and then the other side like drag queen fabulosity <laughs> and I have pride flags sticking out of my head and I'm, I, I look about as gay as you could possibly look right now that's I it's it's a wonderful sight to behold and so you're teaching this makeup today right yeah I was doing a workshop at um, a local college campus for um, uh, SOGI which is the sexual orientation gender identity um, Thing that they're doing in schools uh, you know for awareness and community and whatever so it was part of this um, celebrating queer visibility month they had uh, me doing a makeup tutorial of gender illusion and some karaoke and some info panel and uh, just generally fun vibes on campus today this month that is so nice they did not have that when I was growing up in school me neither. me neither yeah it's uh you know kids today are growing up in a different world and i think it's great and i hope it gets even better for queer kids in schools i think um, it, i think it was right but um you know kids are woke these days is what i'm finding um yeah you, know, you find them to be really receptive when you go into those spaces yep yep Young people are really on it with, um, you know, pronouns and just being generally decent to queer folks. Uh, when I was growing up, certainly when I was in high school uh, and in college, actually, um, it felt like we were really, you know, kind of targeted minority. Um, and it, doesn't seem like that's as much the case now. I, and of course, I'm not in school, so I couldn't really speak to what the experience is, but um, it seems like kids are really on board with uh, gender and sexuality stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I mean, you know, growing up and becoming an adult in the world and becoming more and more yourself, I'm sure you've seen the, you've experienced the changes and you've, you've, you've lived through it, how people are reacting to you just being a body in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there are ways in which, you know, greater public awareness uh, isn't always good. Mm. Or um, there's like more opportunity for backlash in a way when I think with any kind of social justice movement as people move forward and progress, there's also the you know the opposing side which rears its head um and as a trans person um i have noticed being noticed more 
um, like it's just more in the public awareness um, that people like me exist. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm maybe spotted more often or or just noticed as being some kind of queer gender more often than um, than I have experienced in the past when it was not um, such a talked about thing. You know, there, there weren't trans people on TV. It wasn't, you know, in the media, people were talking about, you know, um, this sort of, what I feel is like a recent um, development in queer rights and, and queer social justice movement is um, awareness about transgender stuff. Yeah. Do you find, do people have a lot of questions for you? Do strangers ever come to you with questions? Absolutely, and I tell them to Google it. <laughs> um, I am not that person. I'm just trying to live my life and like survive. I am not here to educate, you know, the straight cis world. Um, there are people out there who are willing to do that work and that's great. And I have been that person at times in my past. Um, but, you know, honestly, I really don't like it when strangers ask me things like, how do you identify? Or like, have you had the surgery <laughs> or things like, I mean, like people ask things that, you know, to me, it's obviously inappropriate, but um, you know, it's kind of, you're put in a delicate position where um, if you, Kind of say, hey, I I don't want to be asked that question, or it's like, well, you're not very helpful, or you're not very, you know, willing to, you're not willing to meet me halfway, so why should I accept you? And it's kind of like that, so it can be a difficult line to walk. Um, when I when I feel confident to, I will just tell people, ask Google because you'll get a better answer than you'll get from me right now. <laughs> How do you identify? I don't, actually. <laughs> yeah, do you have time for an hour-long lecture about how categories are an illusion, or? Totally, totally. Like, you know, I, I, we've spoken about this before in personal conversations, but I, you know, from my experiences and what I understand um, through my own, you know, spiritual initiations is that really there's only one soul in the universe. Mm. identity and separation are just um they're real but there's a unity that's beyond that um like the universe as one soul is divided within itself for the sake of this incarnation which is the, this magical act that we call the universe um but it's all of it's all one thing there's no outside of that yeah yeah. One of the, um, the tarot teachers I study with says, you know, everyone I see is just another way of being me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into the cult? Cause you said you were about 10 years old when you started practicing and um, you don't hear that very often people getting into, into witchcraft and magic that, that young. Yeah, well, I was, I, I described myself as being like a born theist. I grew up in a secular family that there was no kind of religious tradition or, or you know, anything, any kind of spiritual practice or understanding. It just wasn't a part of our world. But I 
just innately understood there to be a spiritual magical dimension to the universe and i you know spoke to god and angels and i i had this connection and i really tried to find information in the material world about that um and there was a, a time where i went to lots of different churches um and read the bible a lot i still read the bible but i i devo devoted a lot of time to um you know as a kid trying to understand the personality of god through what seemed to be the only sort of existing authority um and in the bible there's references to pagans and witchcraft and it's all kind of very condemning um but there's also things in the bible that seemed to condemn me um just for my queerness and for just how i existed um and you know nothing that i could control and i i sort of came to the conclusion that if that god of the bible was the real god then that god hated me mm. um and so whatever the opposite of that is what i would rather be doing um and of course these these pagans sound very interesting this witchcraft sounds very interesting so um <clears throat> there was a time where i was um not in public school and i was sort of supposed to be doing um home self-directed type of homeschooling but i didn't do that i just went to the library every day and read like gerald gardner and alistair crowley and starhawk and you know just trying to um grab hold of whatever that was that you know secret uh magical way of looking at god the divine yourself the universe etc um and i found out that it wasn't really all that evil it wasn't really all that against you know like the 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 judaic uh christian tradition has more to say about witches than witches have to say about um about it you know mm -hmm. the the abraham faiths um uh, islam included um yeah and like there's a lot of historical precedent of um witches or people with you know their own indigenous spiritual practices spiritual magical practices integrating christianity and keeping their own beliefs and practices but you know taking on like oh yeah i can get behind this christ idea that's okay you know so i kind of i, I went through a a phase of really wanting to move as far away from the abrahamic god as possible um and then kind of like through that journey ended up coming to a, a more rounded well-rounded understanding of um it's all kind of one and there there's actually no way to deviate from god's will um and you know like if you're a queer person or if you have a practice that's not okay within christianity or you know for any you know myriad of reasons um it doesn't mean that it's not for you like you can take what you need from it too i love that i i think that i personally went through this big atheist overcorrect because i uh was a christian in high school for part of high school um 
it it just kind of came in, onto my path several times and I was needing something uh, and I tapped into that and felt a lot of uh, peace there and a lot of fulfillment. Um, but ultimately the, the, the so-called sins of Christianity just didn't fly with me. And I was like, I'm not going to stick around and believe in this practice that condemns good people. And I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in that concept, at least not the way that it's storied in the Bible. And so I completely overcorrected and was like, I'm, there's no God. I'm atheist. You know, I'm proud atheist. And then I got a bit older and started developing my own spirituality and recognizing that it's like, okay, wait, there is something out there that's bigger than me or that is me and is a part of me. And it's so much more complex and nuanced than, than the stories that I was told. And I've come all the way back around and now I'm like, I'm a big fan of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I feel like that's kind of what happens, you know, you, you just you it's like a hero's journey you gain a perspective and then suddenly it's a different it's a different christianity now you know yeah like jesus was a total witch like he was out there doing magic and <laughs> just loving people and and you know just like telling people to take care of each other and when i discovered the gospel of mary magdalene i was just like my mind was blown i had no idea that there was there was gospel written by a woman, a woman who, and it's just essentially like saying like, God is inside of you. You are divinity. And so of course they buried that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's lots of pages missing from it. Unfortunately, like it was, yeah. Uh, among the Gnostic gospels, um, which a lot of them were half destroyed or half lost or, um, and it's, it's really tragic that, you know, she obviously had a lot to say that was very deep um, content, and we only have a portion of it. Yeah, I hope that I hope that as we evolve and become ready, it may be unearthed, because it was only what we found, what we have, was only unearthed fairly recently, I believe. Yeah, I think maybe fifty years ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's been through a few different. Um, translators right and there's different takes on on what certain missing parts might have been and um, yeah there's also a gospel of Judas which has been uh, to my understanding rotting in a vault um, since I think the 70s it was found and then just stored in a bad way and it's deteriorating and uh, maybe we'll never be able to read it um, that might have changed recently, but I know that that was the case for a long time. Um, wow, I would be so curious to to hear the Gospel of Judas. Right? Yeah. It shed a lot of light onto um, a lot of things. Something, <laughs> yeah, something that always um, stuck with me was this notion of like, well, so Jesus had to sacrifice himself to save us from our sins. It all felt, it's like all purposeful. Like that's the whole narrative. It had to happen. So like someone had to, you know, give him away. Someone had to backstab him. So I'm like, wait, why are we like saying that Judas is a bad dude when like all of this was for, like this was necessary for the whole religion to exist. Like why, why is this guy getting a bad rap? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like, you know, as a young person reading the Bible, I was kind of like, well, isn't God a bad dude? You know, like it's so much of the narrative is a setup. You know, even the, the very first, like Genesis, um, <clears throat> the very first um, interaction between God and human beings uh, is a very clear setup. Mm-hmm. And only a very naive person would fall for it. Um, it's kind of written into the story that way. Um, there's this, you know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, okay, you don't know what good or evil is to start with. So you don't even know that obedience is good and disobedience is bad. You know nothing. You're, you're you know, morally a child. And there's this tree in the middle of the garden with fruit that looks just great to eat. And then there's a sneaky serpent just hanging out in the tree waiting to just tempt you. You know, it's like, how could Eve or Adam have resisted? If they don't know right from wrong, how could they possibly have resisted? Why would they? And why would they? It's a, it's a bit of a paradox. Um, so, you know, it's, it seems like the God of the Bible, um, and, and there's a lot of other horrible things that go on, but, um, you know, without getting into it too much, it seems like, you know, kind of a bad dude, kind of a, mm, you know, setting you up to, to fall kind of situation. Bit of a trickster. Bit of a trickster, right. Uh, you know and it, the idea of satan as a separate opposing entity to god is not really strictly biblical um at least in the old testament um satan is an angel of god uh, doing the work of god so there's kind of this dualistic nature of like well it can't all just be adam and eve in the garden of eden forever we have to have some progress. So here's the sneaky serpent and, you know, here's my, this, you know, to, to move the story along. Completely. Uh, I've been talking about this with um, my friend Sasha lately, and I actually picked up this book. I just came across my path, the two hands of God by Alan Watts. And it's all about duality. And um, it talks about these different folk tales of the fundamental partnership of God and the devil. And it talks about, it says one day God was walking along all alone when he perceived his shadow and explained and exclaimed, get up friend. Thereupon Satan rose up from the shadow of God and asked that the universe be divided between them, the earth for himself and the heavens for God, the living for God and the dead for himself. Then the two signed a contract to this effect. And that's like, I'm, this is, um, the area of research I'm exploring the most right now is this concept of duality and these polarities and this notion of good and evil that our entire society is based on. I think the whole human experience is, is dual, right? It's, it's me and you, we're separate. We're, we're separate from nature. We're separate from God. We're separate from our power. We're separate from love. All of these things must be achieved externally. And, to my mind, that's why we're in all of this trouble on the planet. That's why the earth is burning is because we're seeking all of these things externally instead of recognizing the, the non-duality of what's beyond here, what our true existence is, which is just oneness with everything. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the God-Satan dichotomy is, has played a big part in um, 
how we have treated our duality. Um, most ancient traditions are not so black and white. It's not so, um, you know, good, supernatural, good, capital G, and supernatural, bad, capital B. It's not so much like that. Um, and I think where we have gone um, in, you know, what could loosely be termed Western spirituality is um, making one side bad, demonizing one side. And there's an ancient understanding all over the world of exactly how I look right now, uh, right and left as, you know, male and female um, powers. Um, Left-hand path is something that's associated with Satanism and, um, you know, the, the darker occult traditions. Um, you know, sinister is a derivative from sinistral, which is meaning left, left way. Um, the left-hand path could loosely be described as that which is downward, inward, leftward, dark, um, and then the right-hand path is, you know, light and righteousness, um, you know, the, the kind of, so what has happened with Christian tradition is righteousness is the good thing and sinister is the bad thing and never the two should meet, right? Um, whereas if we take a different understanding that one is feminine and one is masculine rather than good and evil, that's more like the, the pagan understanding of the god and goddess um, in confluence creating the universe, right? Um, and I think this is where we've gotten ourselves in trouble is by making out the earth, which is inherently feminine, and all material existence. Um, material, of course, shares a Latin root with mother, which is the word mater. Um, so that which is mother material, um, is made out to be evil, um, the material world is to be shunned, and the spiritual world is to be aspired to in an upward direction. Um, and so we've made out our mother to be the bad guy mm. in this kind of deep symbolic theological way. And that is severely wrong thinking. Um, I th believe that what the world needs the most uh, is a return to goddess worship, um, whether that's in conjunction with God worship, you know, we're talking father, mother, you know, father sky, mother earth. Um, that's, that's a great model, but there's a lot of patriarchal religion in the world. I think we need some, some, you know, uh, zealous goddess worshipers that are like, yeah, the God exists, but he's actually just part of the goddess and she's the real deal, you know, um, because that theology, uh, that way of looking at uh, the universe puts emphasis on this place, this earth, this body, this, you know, material existence, um, which is sacred and needs to be upheld as sacred. And all people all over the world knew this um, at one time. And now it seems to be, you know, it's like it's an indigenous value, which is a, a universal value, but we've uh, divorced ourselves from um, 
to uphold the sacredness of the earth and the water and that which is feminine and dark and inward and all of those things. Hmm. How do you embody goddess worship in, in your personal practice? I, um, I am dedicated to the goddess Kibble, who's an ancient Anatolian form of the mother goddess. Um, in the beginning of the universe, she's everything. She's androgynous and she um, self castrates, um, which is the action which sends into, uh, you know, the, the becomes manifestation of the material world by separating two halves of herself. Um, and I have an icon of her. I, I worship her every day. I give offerings every day and I, um, I pray to her, uh, which is mostly praise, but also um, vowing to uphold the sacredness of her body, which is the earth, and her blood, which is, you know, all 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 blood, all water. Um, and you know, the only thing that I pray for for myself is to be aligned with her will, that I can. Uh, do her service that I can be made fit for her service in any way possible. Um, and as a daily practice, this is something I do in the morning. It just aligns where it orients my thought to a, and and my feeling and my you know all the levels of myself are oriented to um, emphasis on the mother. And that's, you know, basically it's uh, it's the same as any other sort of religious worship. Um, I've just chosen a specific um, way to look at the, the, the great mother. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think any kind of uh, daily alignment towards divinity um, and I think especially feminine divinity. So, um, you know, using physical ritual using your body using um you know these material type things as or in your spiritual practice um, aligns it with the goddess inherently mm. that seems to be something we've lost in our culture this ritual and and tapping into um you know a daily even thanksgiving you know gratitude um, that's come up a lot in, in wellness and mindfulness practices, but I feel like that's something overall that we've lost as we did the, the, the atheist overcorrect kind of as a, as a culture, which I think has been a necessary stepping stone. We had to move away from um, a lot of the quote unquote negative aspects of religion, but you know, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. And for me, incorporating ritual in my life has been so deepening. I, I do have a dedicated practice every morning and I'm working on incorporating more and more ritual because every time I do it, I feel so connected. I did just a small ritual on the full moon, which just, it basically involved me, you know, taking some quiet time, uh, setting up a space uh, and, and blessing water with words and drinking it and, and just feeling connectivity to the earth. And I went to work that night and I just felt so powerful and I was just glowing and laughing with everyone just from taking that time to, to tap in with, with the inner goddess, with, with my inner divinity. Yeah. 
I think another thing that's um, often missing from Western esoteric practice in ritual is reciprocity. Mm. Um, and there, it, it used to be a thing, like if you go to a spirit or you, um, you, you know, you call on an entity or you're, you know, you're calling on this, the, the land that you stand on or the water um, that you give back also. Um, and that's where offering as part of daily ritual, I think is really important <clears throat> to maintain that uh, reciprocity that um, not only are we grateful with our words and our prayers, but we're also grateful um, with our resources and with our bodies. Um, yeah, and like pouring out water into, uh, you know, a plant or onto the ground, um, giving, you know, offerings to birds, you know, I mean, all of these things can be sort of incorporated into this kind of ritual space. I love that. That's something I haven't really um, embodied that I would like to do more of. I um, too often have been living in a, in a fear of lack state. And, you know, today I went and bought myself flowers, which is not something I always do because I think, oh, when's the, the next paycheck coming in? How much is it going to be? You know, do I have, am I able to do this? But the more that I uh, do incorporate that in my life intentionally, of course, I'm not running out and <laughs> going on crazy shopping sprees, but, you know, doing things for myself, like buying flowers or um, icons of the deities that I, that I work with or incense for the space, it, it, it fulfills my life. And I think that, you know, giving back is the next step beyond that. And how do I give more to, to others and um, within my practice? That's something I would like to foster more within myself. Yeah. Um, you know, even a glass of water is a thing. Like an offering doesn't have to be, you know, some expensive thing. It, it's, uh, it's your energy. It's, it's your your body you know you can give your yourself um in <laughs> inventive ways i'm sure um you you know pour a water bless some water and pour it into a glass and, and say that it's an offering and it it is you know mm -hmm. um, you know if someone's very wealthy maybe you know sacrificing a goat is is possible but um i mean the, there's i think that there's even a story in the bible about a lady that just has one you know, silver coin and she gives everything she has and she gets the biggest blessing out of anybody because it was all she had yeah, yeah. poverty po poverty should never be a barrier to feeling like you have something to contribute to your, to your divinity, you know, your, yeah. your entity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, you have some interesting practices as well. Maybe interesting is the wrong word. They're interesting to me because <laughs> I, um, they're, they're a little bit out of my personal wheelhouse, but um, when we met in person recently, you were telling me about some of your practices. Um, I don't know if, you know, if there's offerings with, 
within those realms of experiencing pain or overcoming pain or um, you know sacrificing parts of your body or how that works yeah absolutely um, yeah so the the goddess that I worship um, her ancient priesthood were trans women who self-castrated um, as you know per her particular mythology right um, and that's a, a huge offering you know um, yeah, I, I personally, I burn my hair and um, parts of myself that, you know, that I, I can give without injury, I, I give uh, in sacred fire. Um, but I also, use, and this is another practice that goes back at least to the Gali, the Gali were the priest, priestesses of Kibble, uh, at least to the Gali in Rome um, in the first century, uh, self-flagellating as part of ritual and um, you know, offering and also raising energy. Um, so in preparation for these you know, great sacrifices that were made, they would whip themselves into a sort of ecstatic state um, using drugs and alcohol and self-flagellating and ecstatic dancing and drumming and just really going, going full wild. And part of the reason for that was um, Kibble or the, the Great Mother is a guardian of liminal spaces and is in control of the wild. And in order to keep the wild at bay, that you can have your little you know, corner of order in the world, um, you had to give that wildness its own particular um, compartmentalized space so the wild ecstatic worship was to get all the wild out so that you can keep this you know orderly roman empire <laughs> um and the kibbele is often depicted with the walls of a city on her head as a crown and that's the reasoning for that is that um her satiating her through wild worship means that the wild won't come and eat you. That's fascinating. Um, so part of my ritual practice, which I don't do every day, but you know, at least once a week, is um, offering my flesh with a whip. And I, I offer the whip to the goddess and I, I give my sensation to her as a conscious offering and I will whip my back um, with a pretty sharp little thing uh, and sometimes I bleed or sometimes it wraps around and hits someplace that I wasn't expecting and there's you know I, I, I really don't it's not holding back um, it's it's very much going as far as you can to you know because that's that's the devotion aspect it's not I can give this little tiny bit so I'll give this little tiny bit that's like charity you know um, to really give yourself in devotion is to go all the way with, uh, you know, or a, as far as you can um, with whatever your practices are. So, yeah, uh, pain as, as a ritual, as an offering, uh, as a way of communicating and transcending, it's, uh, it's one of the most powerful um, paths that I've ever found. Um, 
we were talking earlier about meditating on broken glass. Um, for a, there was a time where I had just this tote lid filled with shattered beer and wine bottles um, that I would sit in. Um, and that was where I would do my daily meditation. And I would sit there for a long time and just um, really get into the discomfort of it um, and try not to move um, at all and just, you know, be with that pain. And, and you know, there's other, other little pain things that I would do uh, to kind of bring it into higher and deeper levels, uh, higher and deeper as above, so below, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, uh, you know, there's definitely historical precedent of uh, all kinds of indigenous people using similar practices to transcend the body and meet with divine spirits. Um, I believe fasting to be a similar type of action. Um, it just takes a bit longer in my experience. And, uh, you know, I think maybe I told you I, um, I did this, the Abumelan ritual, <clears throat> which is an 18 month uh, endeavor to meet your holy guardian angel. And a lot of it was fasting and prayer and uh, cleansing yourself in preparation. Um, and then the, the final um, portion of the ritual, which is a, a week long uh, away from everyone in total isolation, it's uh, complete fasting. And what that does is similar to what you can do through other uh, methods through the body where you, you go into a different space. And I did hear a voice and I wrote down everything that the voice told me and I had this whole mystical experience and it, it has deeply informed how I live my life and my magical practice. Um, but it took a long time and it took a lot of dedication. Um, part of the thing with the left hand path, sometimes it's called the, the quick path. Or the, the, it's like the shortcut to um, mystical realization. And that would include all things that are spiritual devices, which are material. So like entheogens, and um, physical techniques of, of mysticism. And the right-hand path is really just the, you know, uh, denying the body more. That's asceticism, uh, the, the, the fasting, and the, you know, re retracting from the material world and focusing on only, only the spiritual aspiration. Um, and they, I find it's really interesting. They get you to the exact same place. Mm. And I feel like both experiences are really valuable. Um, I would not want to be purely a right-hand or left-hand path practitioner of magic. To me, the greater um, perspective you can have, if you can kind of go between both or see them as one, um, that's, that's a more potent place to act from. And it's also... Um, you have a better perspective on what you're doing if you can sort of see it from all angles. Uh, yeah, I, I, I highly advocate for fasting and praying and 
you know, angels and et cetera. I also highly advocate for earth spirits and body rituals and um, entheogens within reason uh, and within proper practice and protocol, right? What's an entheogen? Um, drugs that are used for spiritual purposes. Ayahuasca would mm-hmm. be an entheogen. Peyote would be an entheogen. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I completely am on board with plant medicine. And I think now that we actually have science to back it up, how powerful it is, how it rewires our brains. Um, yeah. The same thing with prayer. Um, you know, there is biological, a biological function to placing your palms together and putting your forehead on the ground. It activates parts of our brains and our glandular system. Um, you know, when we, and fasting too is incredibly uh, beneficial when, when done properly. Um, we can look at all of these, the, 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 the history of, of spirituality and religion, and we can actually now break it down and, and look at all of the, the scientific backing behind why these things work. And that always leads me to the belief that there is no line between science and magic. It's just time and perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's so fascinating what you do and intimidating as well, <laughs> with, especially with the, the broken glass and the whipping. Um, I, yeah, that is not currently where my practice is. <laughs> I don't know if my path will lead that way, but I think that it's, I think it's very interesting. And I think that at the very least sacrifice is something that we can all um, incorporate in our lives or uh, learn how to redefine. You know, we're in a time of immense change and we're in in big trouble in the world. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, our inability to, to make sacrifices because we're so driven by this need for fulfillment and, and pleasure and, there's nothing wrong yeah. with pleasure. I actually think we need more pleasure in the world, but like it's been distorted what we think that pleasure is, how we think that we get fulfillment and, you know, a, a practice of sacrifice or self-flagellation, whatever that looks like for you in, in a way that is disciplined and holy. Um, I think that's really, really interesting and worth, worth exploring for every individual and, and how that could look like for them. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to say that um, it doesn't have to be pain. Like pain is just one way to involve your body. It can totally be pleasure too. And for a long time, my prayers always included this. I I give you my pleasure. I give you my pain. Um, And then it's like, whatever happens, whatever you do, if that's given as a conscious offering and even, you know, really the ultimate goal would be that your whole life, is given as offering that every sensation, every experience, every feeling, every achievement, every sadness is sacrament and libation to the divine. Right. Um, absolutely. There is also this whole world of sex magic, right. Where, um, you can involve pleasure as offering and as magical, um, fuel in its own, right you know pain is just where i 
personally tend to go. And there's, I think, a lot of people that would identify with that, but it doesn't have to be pain. You can really give your body in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you brought up sex magic because I think that the people need to know that the most powerful way to manifest something is to visualize it at the point of orgasm. Yeah. 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 It's, that's a really good technique. And there's more, you know, in-depth ways that you can go about it. You can use um, sigils and astrological correspondences and colors and incense and gods and goddesses. And, you know, you can really get very elaborate with sex magical practice. And the more things you kind of, I find anyway, the more things that you tack on, if they all go well together and it all makes sense, it, it really is more powerful I find um, you kind of make your environment in a way that you can't think about anything other than what you're doing um, and yeah uh, you know especially building up and not just releasing an orgasm right away with an intention but if you use many layers of spiritual and physical eroticism um, to like really you know, make that power as big as possible and then send it in a direction. It's, it's one of the most potent things that you can do magically. And, you know, you have to be sure that you're good at holding that visualization, which is why a lot of tools help. Um, because, you know, if you just kind of let it go willy nilly, you don't actually know what will happen. And part of the thing about magic is we're always doing it. We just, you know, are not all good at it. Right. Or we're not being intentional. And, you know, I do this all the time. You'll say something or you'll write something and then it comes to fruition. You go, I didn't want that. Why did I think that? Or why did I say that? But that's just, that's how the world works. You know, words are spells and we speak things into existence. Yeah. 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 Which is also in the Bible. Right. <laughs> we uh, we are sort of tasked with uh, or given the ability to name things, and that's also how God creates is by naming things. Um, and so, okay. yeah, speaking things into existence. I mean, the sex magic thing is really interesting because that's how we come into existence mm. through orgasm, and um, you know that all the alchemical things that happen after after that point but um it's interesting because we have this power uh, to create incarnate souls um and we could use it for anything kind of mm. you, know, you don't have to create a baby with your sexual power you can create something else anything wow that's such that's such a simple and profound way to conceptualize it. It's like that that is what is more magical than than creating another being, and we're we're, we're doing that all the time and not even recognizing it as as magic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's incredible. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering. You know, I usually start, I, I like to start off with this question, but we, we got into such juicy stuff right away. Um, but how's your heart been lately? You know, the world is, uh, has always been a challenging place, but I think that it, for some of us, it's more challenging right now. And I'm wondering how you're doing. 
I appreciate that. Um, you know, in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, there's this moment um, where your heart is weighed, the deceased's heart is weighed against the feather of truth. Um, and if your heart is lighter than the feather, you get to move on to your afterlife. And if it's heavier than the feather, you get eaten by this half crocodile, half lion, half hippo crazy thing that just destroys you and you're done and you're no longer. Um, so, you know, there's something in that, there's something real uh, and applicable about a light heart, trying to keep a light heart about things. That being said, um, my heart is kind of hurting um, for the world. Um, I really get emotional about the things that I see going on in my, uh, you know, basically in my backyard. Um, things, you know, pipelines, indigenous, um, you know, people being forced off their land and just decimated in horrible ways. It's uh, really disheartening uh, the way that I see um, our our ill-adapted relationship to the material world is very disheartening. Um, the way that uh, racism and homophobia and transphobia and uh, xenophobia and uh, Islamophobia is just really taken off in a big way in the United States and in Canada. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak to the rest of the world, but it's, um, there's, there's a, a bit of a scary political climate and I get very emotional thinking about those things. Um, and I really try and do anything that I can do, which I feel like isn't much. And there's people doing a lot more than me and I need to work on, you know, my having a right relationship to, or aspiring to having a, you know, a more right relationship to um, this land that I'm living on as a settler um, and, you know, uh, just really, there's so much work that I feel I need to do. And then there's so many people that don't even feel that they need to do the work. And it's hard looking at the world uh, right now and seeing the entitlement and the, um, total denial of um, the direction that things are going and how we need to change and be better. Um, it's tough out there right now. I'm, I'm not going to lie. My heart is, is crying a lot, but also trying to bring, you know, joy and light uh, through art and, um, you know, doing what you can and just, you know, seeing, to some extent, this incarnation as playful um, in whatever way is possible, even if that's compartmentalized. Um, you know, I, I feel like a, a lightheartedness can help to balance um, very necessary uh, sadness about things. You know, if I if people didn't feel badly about the way things are, then we wouldn't be working towards positive change. So. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a balancing act with my heart right now. I'm, I'm trying to outweigh the feather of truth. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to uh, the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I hear that. I hear that. It's, it's a, it's a constant negoci- negotiation and navigation. And, you know, we, we can't be crying for the world all of the time because we wouldn't get anything done. But we also do have to be with those feelings. We have to be with that grief. We have to let them move through us. I mean, I, you, and, and I think you're doing so much. I know you're out there recently. You were in the bank protesting um, during the height of um, wet sweating. And um, I think. Yeah, and I was protesting a year ago about this pipeline project. You know, it's, it's been an ongoing thing. Yeah. What is it? Why aren't people getting it? Why is our government so um, deluded? How do they not see what they're doing? Well, they must feel that it's justified or that it's necessary. Um, the, the only thing I can think is, uh, you know, basically this, this pipeline is for getting natural gas to China, which would potentially be good for the planet, for China to switch from coal. Um, you know, there's a lot of jobs created. There's a lot of jobs, um, you know, related to a big project like that. Like it's a big economic thing. Um, I think those are. I think those are the the pressures. Those are the the, the big reasons. But um, at the top of it, at the end of the day, it's corporate greed um, that has put pressure on our government to basically act as a military force and invade unceded territory. Um, you know, forcing a project on people who have consistently rejected pipeline projects forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, alternative routes have been offered and Coastal GasLink has rejected those alternative routes. Um, I, I think, <laughs> you know, when it, comes to this issue it really is that um the machine doesn't care people don't care enough uh about what the impact is on the indigenous people of that territory um and they believe the fake news that oh the the people are actually divided it's only a small group that don't want the pipeline and everyone else wants it that's not true. There's, uh, I, I could cite articles <clears throat> that um, basically disprove that whole um, bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and ultimately it's, you know, we can't be extracting any more oil out of the ground. We just, we just can't be doing that. And we need to be focused on listening to the indigenous people and what they have to offer about how to protect the land, how to rehabilitate the land, how to become regenerative once again. And I don't think the metaphor could be any more on the nose that we're wanting to tear apart mother nature and throw a big long pipe through it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just insanity. As you could get. <laughs> the, the, like, I, and I look too at these billionaires like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos built like, they're like, we're going to save humanity by, by shooting ships into space. And you look at these ships and they're just so phallic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, what, what are we, what are we doing to mother nature? Why, why is this, you know, and like, how can people not like, how is the government so blind? How are these people so blind? But I mean, they're in it, they're in their greed, they're in their confusion. They're not thinking clearly, but it's just like, 
when we actually look at it, when we take a step back, it's just laughably obvious. That's where I, I believe what the world needs is a complete return to indigenous values and a complete turnaround and uh, worship of the mother in all of her forms. Um, because that is what we all used to do and we were fine, you know. Uh, indigenous cultures have been fine without um, our, you know, big Western phallus fucking taking over. It's, it's really um, an awful direction uh, that we've gone in the last 2000 years of, uh, you know, really denying and shunning the, the, the feminine. Mm. And that's, if we turn that around, everything else should follow, right? If we are worshiping the earth instead of trying to dominate her <clears throat> or discard her or fill her with garbage. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, our beliefs would inform our actions. Yeah. What would you offer to someone who is maybe brand new to magic or the occult and goddess worship? How can they take a first step towards incorporating that, incorporating that into their life? Well, I kind of feel that uh, goddess worship has, in a strange way, been sort of preserved within Christianity. Um, maybe like killed and mummified or like, you know, put into a coma or something. Um, and I feel that goddess worship can be extracted from um, Christianity and I'm certain other religious traditions as well. Um, you know, we have Mother Mary, um, or I should say people in the Christian world to have Mother Mary as a sort of a feminine icon. And, you know, I've, I was really interested in all the little tiny tidbits in the Bible that reference to the Asherah pole and other, you know, uh, goddess worship things. Um, that can all really be extracted and reconstructed and re-enlivened. Um, Darha is a great ego. Oh, and we did. Uh, I lost you on that last thing. Starhawk. Starhawk. Okay. Is a is a great resource. Um, you know, you can you can scour books or the internet, but I think really, uh, if you have any kind of awareness of a spiritual dimension, um, or any kind of spiritual tradition in your life, you can find the goddess worship golden thread within it and just pull that thread that's where i would say that's my my first step advice and be in your body and if you're gonna do prayer and uh daily ritual of any kind it can start out totally simple but make sure to involve this material world um you know it, it shouldn't be just like um you know uh a purely mental exercise mm. make it somehow a, a tactile um, physical thing um, I am a big fan of the glass of water offering I'm a big fan of uh, positioning your body in such a way as to indicate you know worship or um, certain elements um, definitely focus on the feminine in your in your 
prayer practice. Mm. One thing I always say is, uh, let my actions be informed by the infinite wisdom of your body to kind of bring it back into the here and now. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you. Magic words for you. <laughs> oh, this has been so wonderful. It's I love talking to you. You're you have such a wealth of knowledge and <laughs> um and you know, we talked about activism a bit and I'm always thinking about, you know, how I can um do more and be better and blah blah blah. But I I see you as someone who's out there in the world um being your truest self and i think that's the the greatest form of activism that we can undertake oh thank you thanks for having me on this is so lovely um i just want to pitch one more little thing um get in touch with your local indigenous folks and find out what um protocols are you know um, to be abided in the territory that you live on and learn from them if they're, you know, if you can respectfully learn from them uh, how to be in right relationship with the ancestors in the land is another great tip. That's a wonderful tip. <laughs> One that I, um, I will take for myself because that's, that's a, an area that I'm really new to and really uh, keen to learn more about um, because the more I, conceptualize the true nature of reality um the more i see that you know the answers have always been there that people have been holding those answers and um i think so much of what uh the indigenous traditions have to offer is really beyond our current perception of how knowledge exists um yeah it's so embodied and so i love how much how you talk about bringing it back into the body and to the material realm um because it's so easy for us to get lost in our minds thinking about like what i can do how i can help and it's like really about sinking into our body into our heart center um not floating away into the clouds with spiritual practice or with you know drugs or alcohol all of those things are wonderful but we need to just really be here in this body and this experience and, and be with what is coming through, what is happening in reality. Mm -hmm. That's and let it be sacred and be with it as it is sacred. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole spectrum of it too. The, 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 the good, the bad, whatever you're, you know, been, however you've been taught to feel about this emotion or that emotion or this experience, like all of it, all of it is divine. All of it is purposeful. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much. Um, is there um, a way that people can uh, follow you on social media or um, see your your art, your music, which we didn't even talk about, but we can we can link to and and next time we chat um maybe we'll get into but there's just so much witchy stuff to talk about that it's like <laughs> totally, totally we'll have to do a series um you can follow me three different places on instagram uh bath doom um is my my band um instagram i have morgan lilith grace is my 
personal, you know, just anecdotes and, and whatever. Uh, and I Feel You Darling is my drag persona. So there's those three places. You can also follow me on Facebook, um, Morgan Lillis Grace Bone Gardener, and also Living Statue of Nelson, and Bath, I think it's Bath Band on Facebook. Uh, and my band also has a band camp, which is Bath Magic at bandcamp.com. Right. We'll, we'll put a link. Yeah, we'll link to all of it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Morgan. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. This is so fun. <laughs>